Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's got a Canada Games gold medal. He's an OVA provincial champion. He's won medals uh, three different times at nationals with Pac-Man Volleyball Club. He's an OFSA silver and gold medalist. He's played for Ryerson and is fresh off a fifth place finish at nationals with McMaster University. Please welcome to the show, Navreet Suhan. Nav, thanks for doing this, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, man, we usually start the show with a bit of a timeline here. So I, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I want to get to your impressive resume. But uh, I, I got to know, Pac-Man guy, uh, how young were you playing volleyball? Because that's a big club and you can start volleyball pretty young there. So when did you start getting involved and make volleyball your thing? Yeah, I got I got started pretty young. Around the time, I think grade six was the first time I really picked up a volleyball ever. So uh, the way I got involved into it was pretty interesting as well. Um, I played soccer throughout my youth career uh, for the most part of it growing up. And um, I was living in Brampton at the time. And uh, my family had decided to move to Mississauga. And I think them moving to Mississauga is uh, a big storyline here because I don't think I found volleyball or got into volleyball if they moved over to Mississauga. Because with that move over to Mississauga, I um, eventually ended up going to a middle school called David Leader Middle School. Um, at that middle school, there was a... Um, teacher by the name of Kelly Smith and uh, Kelly Smith if uh, many people are in the volleyball community already know but if you don't know Kelly Smith is the founder of Pac-Man Volleyball Club and he was uh, teaching at that middle school at the time and um, there was something about it like uh, there was a culture at that middle school where like uh, all the cool kids were playing volleyball all the cool athletes and all that were playing volleyball so like me being a soccer kid going in no one really cared about soccer that much at that school um you know, so me going in as a as a sixth grader, uh, I realized that early on, um, and so I was like, I need to get my hands on this and pick up this sport. So uh, grade six was the first time I got involved into it. I went there and tried out for the team, uh, the grade six uh, middle school team, and I made it. And uh, the rest was kind of history from there because one thing led to a, uh, another. I uh, fell in love with the sport. I, I, I the first practice or the first tryout right after I was telling my mom, I was like. Uh, I need to go get knee pads. Like, let's go to the closest sports check and get knee pads, get knee pads, right? And uh, it kind of just, you know, escalated from there. And uh, so I attribute it to a lot to going to that school. And then my hunger for just sports in general uh, was the reason why I was interested in, in trying out volleyball and uh, ended up in uh, where I'm at today. That's so cool. So in your opinion, what makes uh, Coach Kelly Smith so successful? Because he runs the club, he can coach sixth graders, he can coach an 18-year boys team, he's even been involved with like uh, York University, I think he was asking Wally Dive a lot of questions, getting involved at the higher levels, I'm sure he's involved with some colleges, like, it seems like he can coach volleyball to anyone who's willing, but what does he do to really instill like the passion and love for the sport at such a young age for all those kids? Oh, man, it's just, there's just so much wisdom when it comes to Kelly Smith, man, he's been doing it for so long. He's seen so much in the sport. He's coached so many notable names. Um, he's helped so many people, change so many people's lives and uh, sports and athlete perspective. Um, he's done a lot to connect with uh, individuals and and get to know them off the court. And um, especially with me, I think uh, Kelly Smith played a huge part of my life because he affected me not only as a volleyball player, but just as a person, as general, he challenged me a lot of times to be a better, uh, to make the right decisions. He challenged my character a lot early on uh, in, in the early days with, when uh, I was maybe a bit foolish or I was a bit reckless as a kid. And um, he did he did a good job, I think, of shaping my character in a lot of aspects and uh, ultimately shaping my volleyball career as well. Now, with you coming through the Pac-Man Club and also being like a Mississauga secondary student, like... Is it easy to have role models? Because like the club is old enough, I think, and there's been so many guys. Like I'm just listing off names here, like Terrell, Deering, Jesse Sadi, Nathan Burdock, Coppers, like you, Tom Sora, uh, the Kacharski brothers, like Xander, Trenton, Cole, like now Caden Smith's a Pac-Man guy, and I love his game, and I hope he plays more beach. Like it, it just seems like there's so many guys going through that program, and I didn't even name like the coaches or anyone on the women's side. There's a ton of players there, right? Like Janelle Albert's whole team, and it felt like they won everything they played with Veltman and some other guy, uh, Caitlin Wark. Like they just name after name here of this club. So when you're in it, do you see the role models and you see what other people have accomplished throughout the club as well? Oh, 100%. I think um, one thing that Pac-Man does a good job is a lot of times when you're younger and you look up to a lot of people that are older uh, in the community or in the sport, sometimes you feel that those people are unreachable, that they're, um, you, you can't really connect to them uh, on any basis. Uh, but 
I think Pac-Man does a good job of keeping their alumni relationship strong, keeping their whole family. Like, it's it's a one big family in an essence, right? Like, I remember being, I think, 13, 14, and, like, Brandon Hoppers would come and help out at my practice. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever because, like, everyone on my team, of course, looked up to Brandon and knew what he had uh, accomplished in the sport, what he had done, right? So uh, I think it, it was just super amazing to see guys like that of that caliber willing to come back and help younger teams like you'll see a guy like Shawan uh come back uh, every summer you know and still help out on the beach or, or connect with these kids and be willing to offer his time to come speak with these kids right and that goes like uh, such a long way i think uh just packman has done a good job in that and of course yeah like the like the guys we mentioned there's been so many role models um throughout throughout uh, Pac-Man, and especially my career. I know Jesse Saki has played a huge part of my career, um, being that role model, big brother kind of figure. Um, so there's no shortage of um, role models. I think uh, it was a good culture where you want to come back and inspire the youth. You know, even for me, like I still hold very close ties uh, and deep roots. Pac-Man, you know, I'm still very connected with Jesse and his teams, and he's like, hey man, like whenever you have a chance, you want to come out and help my 17 team. And, or you want home 18 team or whatever, right? And I'll, like I'm all ears, and other guys are um, off of the help, you know. I can't believe I missed Shawan. Out of all the names I mentioned, I missed Show. Where he, he yeah. if he's listening, he's hopefully going to shoot me a message, and I can try to get him on the show. Well, hopefully, I didn't offend him by missing him. And and Figuera, like the list goes on and on. It's just so cool that everybody's still connected. But uh, even being a Mississauga secondary guy. I'm curious what the expectations are being at a school like that, because I'm sure OFSA comes up early, but even to get through your own league, like uh, I'm thinking like Coppers is a Mississauga guy, but he didn't play at Mississauga. So like there's other good schools. It seems like Rick Hansen's always very good. So even the high school loop in that Mississauga Brampton area is really competitive. So what was it like entering high school and kind of, yeah, you got your club buddies, but then you're dispersed all over the city playing for different high schools against each other, right? Oh yeah, like as soon as you step up into Mississauga secondary, I think the everyone knows the status quo, everyone knows what the expectations are. You're gonna be the best in your area. You're gonna that's the goal every time. You wanna win your lobster, you wanna win your region and you wanna compete at lobster, right? And like and the same thing with, with Mississauga Secondary, there's been so many amazing alumni and legends that have gone through that building that have uh, helped build up that program, that volleyball program there. So um yeah, me going there, and then I was surrounded by so many other great guys uh, that I had a, uh, uh, the opportunity and the privilege to play with. Um, so there was always um, a status, and there was always a uh, expectation that you don't need to be held at and to perform at. And also, I think a thing, a big thing that during the time that I was there, that I felt uh, played a big role was we were always a really good team and looked at and uh, known throughout Ontario for being a really good high school. Well, okay, we had never won championship. I think Jesse and Terrell's age had lost a couple of times. Uh, there might have been a few times after that. I know my grade 11 year, um, I made it to we made it to the finals and we lost to Sawan School and Tahi Asian Court, right? And uh, finally, in my grade 12 year, um, being able to win that with that group in the way we did by going having an undefeated season, 42 and 0, and winning the Oxford title in my grade 12 year, um, I think it meant a lot. It meant a lot not only for the guys that were on the team, the school, but also the alumni that went through that uh, weren't able to do that. So we kind of just lived through those guys. Um, and uh, that same type of culture that Pac-Man kind of had, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure, actually. That that does remind me where as good as Trail's teams were, I think they lost to Garrett May's like Birchmount teams is as good as like Murdoch and those guys were. I think they had some some tough luck. But to go 42-0 and and like let's set the scene for the listeners, like, you guys play as good of a schedule as there is because, like I said, your high school schedule is really good, but it's not unusual to see Mississauga go to like the St. Mike's tournament where you're going to see all the other top teams in the province and you're going to have to battle against Bill Crothers and who's ever good in Ottawa that time or like the the Barry School or, or maybe teams as far as Windsor. Like it seems like St. Mike's attracts them or Waterloo has a good tournament that you guys always seem to go to well. Like to go 42 and 0, like. Was that the goal in tryouts? You're looking around being like, guys, we can do it this year? Or did it just start like piecing together as the season progressed? No, definitely before the season even started, we knew what the goal was. Cause, just because personally for me, a lot of the guys that were, were in my grade 11 year were returning and we kind of had that sour taste in our mouth of being so championship. And finally, because we were talking about it, everyone was talking about it, was it's the Mississauga curse that they weren't able to win the off the championship. They'd always get there, but they won't be able to 
finish it, right? So there was that kind of uh, offset curse that was kind of looming over us. And um, I think that grade 11 year really helped a lot of those guys that were trying to step up as well because that taste in our mouth was so bitter because we were so close, especially the way that the tournament went. Like, like that tournament was stacked. I don't know if you remember that year was loaded with really good teams. In the quarterfinals, I think we played an Eastview team with uh, Logan House, Dylan Devisari, Devisari, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, a, a couple other really good Barry kids that ended up going in OUA. And then we go to the semis and we play a St. Mike's team with uh, Tom Sora, Tariq Saini, right? Like a loaded team. And the way we won that game too, being down two sets in the semifinals and coming back and winning in the fifth, like 17-15 or whatever it was, um, super close game. And then going to the finals and going up to roll on Asian court and then them coming back and just Shawan playing lights out and winning it. I think that left a bitter taste in a lot of the guys' mouths. So we had like a lot of return players, uh, return players that year. Uh, the following year with me, uh, Arjun Selhai, who plays at 12, Saad Sheikh, who plays at uh, Ryerson. Uh, we had a couple other guys, um, names uh, that played alongside us. And we were all coming into that year super determined and just super ready to, you know, break this curse. Because we heard the talk, we heard all everything that people had to say the, the year before, saying that all oh, the typical Nassad kids did weren't able to pull it out in the end. So we use that as fire and as determination uh, to motivate and motivate us. And uh, it, it honestly helped us to clearly we uh, had a season and uh, it worked well for us. Nice. Nice. So yeah, it's good to hear the behind the scenes. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up that year because a lot of names and yeah, there, there's some talk around the province that Mississauga, you know, you can't close, but your year, you definitely did it. And I'm sure we didn't even mention the other schools like there, even the London area has a ton of schools like to go 42 and all. I'm just trying to go down the list. You guys must have played absolutely everybody and, and got the job done. But switching over to Pac-Man and obviously with you being a provincial champion and taking some silvers at nationals, like What's it like being a Pac-Man guy? Because I think people in the OVA know you guys. People at Nationals know Pac-Man. And I think everybody has like an impression that maybe maybe it's accurate or maybe it isn't. But there certainly is a reputation that you know Pac-Man's going to be a lot of confidence. You guys are going to bounce balls and warm up. Like There's just a certain, certain thing that happens when you play against Pac-Man. So when you're on the inside, are you guys aware of that? Is that something that coaches are instilling where like you got you to gotta walk tall? You got to be a Pac-Man guy. You got to be loud. Like Is that something that uh, is maybe groomed a little bit inside the club? Oh, that's so well known from from day one. I think I knew that when I was like playing in 13, right? Like you hear the stories of how everyone kind of hates Pac-Man. My, I think it was in my last year, my my second last year. We even got we knew it and we knew it so well. We got shirts made that said Pac-Man versus everybody because that's basically what it was, right? Like every team just did not want to see Pac-Man win. Anyone but Pac, anyone but Pac-Man because. It, it, exactly to what you alluded to, right? A lot, a lot of our players we play with confidence, right? We're really bold, right? Um, uh, we have expressive personalities. We play with emotion, right? A lot of these things that uh, at that age, um, a lot of the times we don't see or could come across for a lot of people as obnoxious, right? But I think it comes from a good place, right? Like I don't think it comes from a place of arrogance where a lot of people think it does. I think it comes from a place for competitive because that competitiveness is instilled uh, in our practices, just in the culture of Pac-Man, the winning culture, right? Like, you see all the alumni that have come before you and you want to be held to the same standard. And if you're not, it's super cutthroat. Like, in Pac-Man, it's kind of like, you know, like, this is what you need to be. You need to be a champion. This is what it takes, right? So it, that's the blueprint, really, of Pac-Man. So I think, um, I think, yeah, 100%, like, that is well-known uh, throughout the club. And I think... Uh, I think it really helps players because we really embrace it as the years go on. You see kids from 13 to 18, you really develop that confidence and uh, come in, uh, into more of their selves. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the cutthroat thing because I think Kelly does walk the line really well where there's a ton of kids playing volleyball and there's a house league, there's a high school league. But yeah, if you're going to play 17 or 18 year for Pac-Man, I think it is cutthroat. And the reason I say that is the catchment area is so big where it's not unusual for a kid from Barrie to drive to Mississauga to want to be on the squad. Like, can you need to talk about like your 17 and 18 year, like where your teammates came from? Because I think the core is Mississauga guys, but it's not unusual for people to be driving either across the city, north, south, east, west to get to Pac-Man, right? Yeah, like, so Pac-Man is based out of Mississauga, but a lot of kids, even in my 18 team, weren't out of Mississauga. I think it was probably three or four, maybe on my team team that were actually from Mississauga. I know, like, we had Tom Sorrell coming all the way from the beaches in Toronto. 
We had uh, from Burlington, right? Like it's more of a GTA-based club, I would say, because, um, and, and it's not odd to see people come even further than GTA, right? Like an example would be uh, my teammate from Mac who played a year older than Jordan Pereira, um, played, uh, he in his 18 year, came all the way from Niagara to get to Pac-Man, right? Which is crazy. But like, it's a super normal thing. And I think it's just because people know the standard that Pac-Man's going to play at and the level that Pac-Man's going to play at. So um, a lot of people, I think, would want to be involved in that. And uh, they're willing to, you know, maybe um, put in the work and the extra effort to get to uh, these longer just to get practice. So, um, no, it's very, it's very, I'd say it's very common. It's definitely growing and expanding even more. Like even since I've uh, left the club, I've seen so many more kids from areas outside of Mississauga um, start and wanting to be uh, involved into the club. So it's, a, it's a clearly normal thing. Nice. Nice. So take me into your uh, 17 or 18 year, because I think maybe he coached you a little bit longer, but you had Matt Harris as a coach. So there's like a university level guy coaching club. Uh, the team's coming together. Like you're, you're strong. Is there something about Pac-Man that like you talk about winning a provincial championship? Cause I think you, was it you Xander and Sora were kind of the core of your age group. I'm trying to place the timeline of who you played club with. Yeah. So my 18 year, um, Xander and, uh, Xander and Tom both, um, played a year up, uh, in there. They played, well, Xander played up two years actually, cause he's a year younger than me. And Tom played a year up as well, and he's the same age as me with that Shawan team. Uh, and then eventually, then uh, during my 18 new year, uh, I had a chance to play with both of those guys. So I played with uh, Xander, Cole Ketchatinsky, um, Tom Sora, Andrew Tahi came over in an 18 new year as well, played with us. Um, and we had a couple other notable guys like, uh, just throughout the province. Um, so those are the, those are the main, uh, main guys that we really played with. Now, it's interesting to list all those names because when you guys go to a tournament, like you got a great team on the floor. But my understanding is behind the scenes, uh, even at practice, things can get a little bit chippy. And I think like Jesse Sadie and the other Pac-Man guys, they do a good job like kind of pushing the buttons here. I'm wondering, is Coach Harris the same way where like if you're in a drill, it doesn't matter that like, oh, I'm across the net from Xander and we all know Xander's going to be on the national team someday. It's like, no, I'm going to shit slam him because I want to win this drill, right? Like what was the mood and training with all these guys around? No, exactly. Like that, that would be the effort. Like I'm trying to take this guy's head off on the other side of, uh, on the other side of the net, right? And like, I think Pacman does a good job because, um, a lot of times they would get their 18 years, uh, teams to scrimmage with their 17 year teams, right? So like a lot of times in my 17 year, I would be playing up against Shawan, Tariq. You know, those guys are super competitive, right? So, um, going up against those guys, um, that would bring the competitive juices out of anybody, right? So like, uh, that really helped uh, build build our team and, and excel it to the next level, honestly. So with you guys battling through Ontario, and I think, like, as you mentioned in high school, like, Logan House, like, his very elites team would have been pretty strong. Like, there, there's just guys all over the province. Like, what was it like? Because it felt like in your years, I think OVA elite, like, yeah, a few teams shuffle here and there, but it's almost fair to say that in the quarter semis and finals, you were going to play, like, almost rivalry games where you knew you are going to have to beat the same teams over and over again, right? So how did the season kind of develop, like, did you kind of know what to do against certain teams or like every, every other weekend when you're playing them, was it just like a new battle because everybody was always layering up their game plans? Uh, a bit of both, I would say. Um, I think uh, we had the unique thing in our age group where there were, we were uh, the top guys we were kind of scattered throughout. So we had quite a few number of teams that were very, very strong. Like in my years, us, Pac-Man, we had, uh, the Ottawa Mavericks were filled with so many amazing athletes and kids. Um, you know, and then we had KW Preds, which was like a super slept on team. With, with they, they ended up having so many superstars on that team from Zarco, uh, who played at Guelph and is uh, over overseas in pro now. Um, Hayden Cavender, you know, big names like that on that team. Um, Lakeside, you know, they, they were filled with, you know, again, big names like Zane Grossinger, Bennett Swan. So um, Storm, Aurora, obviously Aurora Storm is always going to be in that mix. So we had quite a few teams that were uh, – top-notch caliber so it was actually interesting it wasn't i would say um every time because sometimes you know how those tournaments go you know sometimes get a, a best team's performance sometimes you don't um so i think uh, you also have to be prepared uh as if you're going to get the team's best performance and sometimes you wouldn't uh, like that would be the situation but um no it was all see every match was very different i would say and what was your experience like at nationals because uh 
we just had Max Elgert on the show, and like I think he mentioned he played Pac-Man either in the semis or finals every year. Like he was Shawan's age, and I think like Fog would always play them, or you guys would see Canuck over and over again. So like even though you're at nationals and it's different, and you're playing people from all over the country, like the same teams and same names seem to keep finding each other, right? So did you kind of know year after year at nationals you're gonna have to play against so and so from out west, and it was gonna be a tough game? Yeah, one hundred percent. For our age group, we knew that every year we were gonna have to play uh, force. Um, they're a team out of Surrey, uh, Surrey, BC, um, and they were really good. Um, they had a lot of notable names. Of course, Brody Hofer who played at Trinity now. Um, Johnson who played at UPC. Uh, Max Heppel. You know, they had a bunch of bunch of really uh, high caliber players, and we knew every year that we would match up with them, or at some point that we would have to cross them uh, when it got to nationals and and Rightfully so, we did. We, we played them in 16 national final, 17 national final, and 18 national final. Horse versus Pac-Man, three years in a row. Um, so, so we knew that we were going to go out there and have to face these certain teams. And, and honestly, that helped us in our preparation because we knew uh, that those guys were going to be working like their asses off over there. So we, we knew that um, we had to be doing the same thing. There was no shortcuts on our side. So it definitely held us to a high standard. So you're playing against these top guys. You got a university level coach in Matt Harris there. Like, is there a game plan? Like, I know you're playing against Brody Hofer and he's going to be awesome. But like, did you feel like maybe when you talk to your other high school buddies or somebody who played at another club, like, was there anything you guys were doing that you're like, oh, like we have a university level game plan. Like, what were you guys doing as, as club athletes to get ready for, you know, playing post-secondary when like you, you would have the same expectations maybe that Coach Harris was putting on you as a 17 or 18 year old? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think having Coach definitely, uh, uh, well, there was a lot of uh, systems and stuff that we implemented that were maybe university-like. You do things in certain rotations, like fire up, where like if we wanted a bigger blocker on the outside to match up with the other team's left side, you know, we'd have our left side and right side swap, right? Uh, have our setter go into uh, position four instead, you know, like we do things like that to, uh, uh, to get better matchups and, and such. But I think. Just at the club level, I think it was more, especially with the talent that we had, I think it was more about us um, just playing to the best of our ability because we felt that if we play to our best, if we hammer down what we need to on our side of the net, that it didn't matter uh, what, what uh, we were faced with. Really so that, that was just the mentality that we had at that time. So you're having success at high school and with your club team. You you have these role models that go on to play OUA and U sports. Like, what was your recruiting process like? Because I'm sure a lot of listeners are going like, oh, like you played club for Matt Harris. It's a natural step that you go to Ryerson. But I feel like Matt's a good recruiter, but I don't think he would give you an ultimatum or put pressure on you that he would say, like, you're going to Ryerson or you're not starting the national final. Like, he would never do that, right? So what, what were the talks like when you were starting to look at colleges and universities? Like, what were some things you were considering before you decided to commit to Ryerson? Yeah, it wasn't, no, it wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was very open. Um, for my process, I think it was a bit different than many people because for me, I knew that I, regardless of the situation, I wanted to stay close to home. Um, that was one, uh, like solid fact that, that had to be for me just cause like, um, just growing up in this area with the amount of friends and family that I have in the area and like the, the support for impact, I felt, um, and the love I have for my family, my parents, I felt like I really wanted to be close to home where my parents could come out and watch the games. Um, my friends and family could come out. I could still be connected with my community back home here in Mississauga. So it was, it was, uh, it was very important for me. I'd say that was the number one, number one thing for me was that I want to stay something to home. So right away, that kind of threw out a lot of options of, uh, of where to go and where I wanted to go. So that kind of dwindled things down to honestly, just universities that are kind of in the GTA, kind of uh, Southern Ontario uh, region. So uh, that kind of made things, I guess, a bit easier on my part. Um, but nevertheless, it was, still wasn't an easy decision. It came down to the wire, um, and I had to take into account for many other things like school, volleyball, and things of, of that nature before I made a decision. Now, but I am curious, just with the, the rookie season that you put up, was playing time ever discussed? Like, were you looking for a team that you could go in and contribute? Like, was that going to be important to you? Or, or what were some other things that kind of weighed that you, when you finally made a decision, like it was close to home, but I want to start or I want to play for this style of team? Like, what was kind of the deal breaker that finally committed it for you? Uh, not necessarily. I think um, I think for me, 
um, obviously school came first, right? Like wherever I found that a program that best suits me, um, would have been the situation. And uh, there was a there was a business the business manager program at Ryerson. Uh, I felt really connected with me. So that was one uh, one thing that really pushed me to uh, make my decision closer and commit uh, to Ryerson. And also, of course, just the relationships I had with my coach Matt Harris um, in club. And of course, he coached me at Team Ontario as well. So that only strengthened and deepened the the relationship that we had. Um, and and I felt I felt that um, a good connection with Matt, and I felt that uh, I wanted to go to Ryerson because I had a few other uh, teammates uh, from Pac-Man as well, uh, one or two that uh, um, were also going there as well. So. I just felt it was the best situation for me um, at, at the time, yeah. Yeah, before we, we dive into the Ryerson thing, let's touch on your Team Ontario experience. So with your year, I feel like Canada Games got uh, a little bit more prepared in, in, in a sense that the age group switched to 18U, but then the OVA did like a big identification uh, project around 16U where I think they took a lot of kids your age and then it started to like whittle down as it got closer to 18U. So were you one of the guys right off the hop that were identified in 16U and that was going to be like you knew what Canada Games was and you knew what you were being identified for? Or when do you feel like you entered the stream and, and playing at Canada Games in Winnipeg there was going to be like a, a realistic goal? Uh, yeah, I think right off the bat, I think uh, that's that's why the 16U uh, Team Ontario was introduced. I think I think we all kind of knew that. Uh, it was in preparation a few years, few years out. Um two of those games in Winnipeg for 18U. Uh, so our age group was identified, and I think we all knew that. But of course, at the time, like I wasn't thinking that far ahead of, of 18U and this my goal of and games I want to make this team. Uh, when I was when I was 15 or 16, and trying to make that first 16U team, that's all I was really worried about, right? Like, uh, I wasn't looking any further than that, honestly. This was my first time through that process, you know, um, and I really wanted to to just be a part of that that team because I've seen guys before me, older guys that have made Team Ontario, and and I knew how prestigious it really was. So um, no, at the time, yeah, um, I'll just write about that 16U Team Ontario. I had the privilege and honor to uh, make that team, and then um, we played in MTCCs that year. Uh, went on to Edmonton, and then uh, helped helped win Team Ontario to a gold that year, and then. Uh, the following year in 17 year, I had the opportunity uh, and the privilege as well to be a part of the team material once again. Uh, and we went down to Fort Lauderdale, played there. And then, of course, in the 18 year as well, I had the opportunity to be a part of that team and go down to Fort Lauderdale and hand games. So uh, I've kind of been a part of the, the three three year process, I would say, building up to Canada Games. So uh, I definitely have the privilege and honor. Uh, in that regard. Now we, we've talked about uh, the, the swagger or the reputation that Pac-Man has. So obviously, like you're you're in a cycle, and Cole and Xander are going to be around. But did you ever feel like you had to win somebody over, or maybe once you got to know them over lunch, you're like, oh, this guy's not so bad? Whether it was like Justin Louie and the Derm Attack guys, or, or Logan House, or, or Zane, like, was there anybody who's kind of like, oh, I thought I'd hate you, but I actually really get along with you? Like, was was it all Timo when you guys were bros right off the bat, or was there some winning over some guys because of all the battles you guys have had over the years? I would say no, no deliberate. I didn't have to deliberately try to win anyone over. I think that's something that just uh, happened naturally. I think that happens naturally within um, real practices and stuff. And the more you get to know someone and just like off time in between practices, you know, you're stretching the and out, you get to chat up uh, and talk to each other. And, and of course, at dinners, lunches, and breakfasts and all that stuff, it really helps uh, build, build relationships, uh, further communication. So I didn't have to. I didn't have to deliberately win everyone over, but yes, there was a lot of people that uh, were like, hey man, well, Lee, I didn't know. Uh, a lot of those kind of things where um, I guess people had a pre preconceived notion about Pac-Man kids that were super ultra competitive and, and we can be a bit mean and a bit harsh, but no, definitely not. I, I think just over time being my natural self, I think a lot of guys resonated with that and uh, I was proud to be a leader in a lot of regards uh, and, a, and a person that people looked up to uh, uh, ways uh, on that on those teams so it was good and you mentioned that u.s tournament and that's that's a special tournament there's a lot of good teams there like we sent like our provincial team but it's not unusual to see like a club team there as well but it's also not unusual to see like some all states or some some bigger teams or either other countries sending teams as well right so 
what was the the vibe there? Because for you guys to go deep into that tournament and take it down, like you must have came across some guys that you're like watching NCAA games down. And you're like, oh, I played against so and so, or you've heard some names. Like, what was that tournament like? And what was it like as you kept going deeper in the draw and playing against some like really special volleyball players? Right? Yeah, I think I think I think none of us really knew how far we could take it. I don't think any of us really knew that we could win the tournament. We were kind of because um, at first you don't really know the competition you're going down to face, right? It's kind of up in the air. Like we had a bit of a, a bit of small taste of it the year prior some of the guys that were on the team because we went down there and we didn't we didn't do terrible but it was also we knew we were like okay this is a very tough tournament. there's a lot of big boys in this tournament right there i think we were a few years younger than a lot of teams playing in that tournament so uh i think the following year going to that tournament kind of knew and expected that okay this is going to be a tough tough tournament there's going to be guys that were already you know in uh at university or colleges already playing at UCLA, USC, and, and these big schools and stuff, right? So uh, when we went down there, we just kind of, honestly, we didn't, we didn't know what to expect. But uh, yes, it's kind of like that. We're after day one, after day two, things kind of slowly started building up, and we just kept seeing where we could take it. And then eventually, we found ourselves in like the semifinals against North Cal, and we're playing against guys that are committed to UCI or going to Pepperdine or. Or, or whatnot, right? And uh, and and I think we won that game in five sets, eighteen, sixteen, or something, right? Like a crazy win. And then we find ourselves in a final against uh, South Cal, where you have a lot of guys committed or already at UCLA, USC, or like Holy, and like a lot of guys that you have seen play um, or heard about at least, right? Just from the talk of the town. And um, I think honestly, by the time we by the time we got to second or third day we kind of felt like okay like our team is really strong like we could probably do this kind of like i think we use that courage and that spirit uh throughout the playoffs and, and it led to us honestly winning and we, we did it in a very uh dominant fashion in the finals i think so so going to an event like that and then as you mentioned like when you're a little bit younger you do well at national team challenge cup like did that give you so much confidence going into canada games or is that honestly just a different animal that you had to feel out that a tournament because it you know it gets a lot of hype the volleyball players are a little bit older than some of the other athletes so i think like it gets special attention like the gym was rocking like what was your first kind of glimpse of canada games and how big deal like it is to represent ontario at a tournament like that I think we, I think our, our coaching staff at the time did a good job of like building up uh, the presence of these teams and how important they are uh, and building the stage for it. Because we had known going into that that Ontario hadn't won a Canada Games gold in volleyball men's for, I think it was like 20 years or something like that. It was like an absurd number. And um, I think we all really knew how much it really meant to the coaching staff and, and everyone else uh, just by seeing the impact they had. The stories and just hearing about it. Um, I, I so just hearing about it, we kind of all kind of ha- realized that it, it is a big tournament, but we didn't really know how big until we honestly got there. And then it's kind of like an Olympic feel where you have the uh, athletes village and you're interacting with uh, uh, high level athletes from around other parts of the province, or other sports, or around the country. And then finally, you get to the gym and you see how packed it is. Okay, like uh, the, the stadium fully filled out, right? Like so once you get there, you kind of realize it, and then like, okay, it's kind of like, okay, now it's now it's, it came on, right? It kind of you, you got to put your uh, put your put your grinding hat on and, and get to it. So I think I think we were all kind of a bit a bit naive to it and didn't really know what it would be like going into it. Um, but we had heard stories, so we knew knew we knew how important it could be, and and it is. So um, I think eventually, just getting there and being able to play in front of the crowd. Uh, we realized, yeah, this is very special. And be honest, what was your feeling around the players? Because we just had Logan House on the show a few weeks, and I, I'm so glad he opened up about this. Is He didn't really care or follow volleyball in a sense where like guys would be talking in the team room before, but like, oh, we're playing Alberta, and we're going to play Jesse Elser or Matias Elser, or you know, we're playing against uh, Team BC, and this guy's already committed to UBC, or this guy plays at Trinity, and Logan would just be like, cool like uh what time do you guys want to pepper like he would just be like okay what time's the game like what time are we doing like he wasn't going to be intimidated or overblown or or overhyped or other guys are like oh this guy's already this 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 so where did you kind of fit in that spectrum like were you looking at the names on the other rosters and kind of getting hyped up about who you're going to play against or were you just kind of soaking it all in and and controlling what you can control no i kind of knew uh the big names on, on other provinces just by playing playing against them throughout the club right like how could you not right like 
me going up against Bro going for three finals in a row at Club Nationals, right? Knowing the BBC squad and, and knowing that Colton Louie is going to be on that squad, right? I've had a friendship and shit and memories with him. So, no, I definitely knew some of the names that would uh, be on these other teams and um, how great of these guys, how great players these guys are, right? So I kind of knew that uh, uh, they would be uh, a challenge, but it's like, it kind of motivated me. Right? Like I used that as like, okay, here, here we go. Like, let's go. This is going to be fun, right? Like I get to compete against some of the, the best athletes in my age group. And um, I kind of looked at it as as something to, you know, look forward to and not to shy away from or anything like that. But um, yeah. Nice. And as, as the tournament progresses, do you know you're just on a collision course with that Alberta team and they're going to have some swagger and I think they dyed their hair and they got the Elser brothers. Like, what, was it getting hyped up or was it just, yeah. it was such a grind to get through a pool and then quarter and then semi? Or like, did you kind of start peeking ahead being like, we're, we're in for one and we're going to play these guys in the final? Yeah, you kind of always expect that because, again, you hear so many stories of the Ontario-Alberta rivalry, right? And um, we got a chance to actually play against those Alberta boys in uh, pool play. And we played really well. I think we, we, we won 3-0 or 3-1 or something in a dominant fashion. But we knew how intense that game was, right? Back and forth, um, you know, how, how aggressive how aggressive that game was and how, how high intense it, it really was. So we knew what would be in store if we had to see those boys again. Uh, but we also knew that there were so many other teams that were strong. There were BCs, there were Quebec, so we couldn't really... Uh, focus too much time on them because if you do that then you're not giving your opponents ahead of you the respect that they deserve and uh, that's that's usually a recipe for disaster so um we, i think we just kind of took it one game at a time and i think our coaching staff with nathan jensen he and Abbott, matt harris did a really good job of uh preparing us especially because we we're so young at that time right like it's easy for us to get our minds off off track but i think uh, we had a good culture and we had a good coaching staff that really helped us well yeah we've had nathan jensen and ian as well on the show but uh nathan would be the one i just want to talk about quickly with you being a middle uh was there a lot of data and is that helpful for you because i feel like the middle position is so based on cue reading and the level of the past like was the data that nathan's able to come up with and how quick he is with the turnaround like was that really helpful to pick up tendencies or are you honestly have to feel it in the moment based on just the, what's happening with the flow of the game how the passing is who's going off like is there time for a middle to really be bogged down by the data or do you honestly just have to feel it like where do you stand on that kind of spectrum i think the data can be really helpful um i think that summer though a lot of it was just feeling out and seeing because I, I agree with you in that sense that like there is a, a part of the middle. It's, it is a lot of feeling out and your senses and just reacting. Um, I think the coaches always used to say you got to be zen, right? Like before we blocking a lot of people would be jittery. You got to be super zen. And then from there, you can make your, your decision or your action or your move to where you need to lead and where you need to be. But I think uh, no, the numbers definitely help. They show you tendencies, right, of, of a setter or which way he likes to set or what rotation he likes to set. So I think I think having those in the back of your mind while also uh, having a creative license within yourself to be free and make decisions on your own, I think those two things work hand in hand and uh, is the recipe for a good lead uh, for the block. So, nice, yeah, nice. So, so. And just to kind of touch on the the other coaches there, because you mentioned uh, Ian Ebbett's a part of there, and I believe, um, was Lamb a part of the staff too? Was he the manager too? So I think it was like a pretty stacked group, right? So how did it all come together? Because you got Matt Harris, who's just like a volleyball guru, and he's going to talk systems and technical tactical all day. And then you got Ian Ebbett, who's probably one of the best like leadership and team building guy on top of like what he can do technically, tactically. And then you got Nathan Jansen, who's if not the best in Canada, definitely top three in terms of like how he can do data and stats and analysis. Like it, it just seems like a well-balanced group, but man, they can all like hang their own as far as like tactics go. So what, what was it like in that, that lead up? Cause I think you guys spent the summer together before going to Canada games. So you got a lot of time together. You had a training camp. Like how did the season kind of unfold for you? Um, yeah, like the year prior we had, uh a lot of guys on the team had the opportunity to already work with that coaching staff. So we had um, already a relationship there. And in the following year coming that year, I think uh, uh, we only built upon it more. I think Ian and, and, and Matt and Nathan, they do a good job of, of building a team culture, um, bringing in guys um, to help bring uh, build team chemistry, do different games, different 
different team building activities throughout the summer that really helped uh, build a bond between guys because um, we're, we're together for the whole summer, right? So whether you like it or not, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to. If you don't like each other, you gotta figure out a way to to work it out, right? You gotta build upon your chemistry. So um, I think just just um, just those activities and having that coaching staff and then having a a time where you're living together, you're eating together, you're sleeping together, you're doing all these things together. I think that really helped uh, build team camaraderie and, uh, and connections. Now I need you to confirm a story for me. And if it's true, share how you interpreted the instructions because uh, Logan mentioned that the coaching staff wanted you guys to treat this like a business trip. So you're at Nipissing and there's other Team Ontario athletes there and there's girls around and Logan understood the instructions that like you had to be focused 24 hours a day. So girls were saying hi to him in the hallway and he's like walking by. He's not talking to them. He thought he was doing a good job where coaches call a team meeting and they're like, okay, everybody raise your hand who's talking to the girls and Logan's looking around and be like, no, nobody talked to the girls. Like I, it's understood coach. We know we're not allowed to do that. So were you taking it as hardcore as he was that you were putting your head down and you were doing work or, or was there time for like a little social interaction when you're at like the pre Canada games camp at Nipissing? <laughs> I think while Logan's, uh, no, I do remember that. It's pretty funny. I think what Logan was alluding to was early on. I think the coaches kind of set the stage of, Hey, we're here. This is a business trip. Like, uh, this is not a time to have fun, laugh around, joke, this, that, or whatnot. So I think a lot of guys, um, took that a little too extreme and uh, to Logan's extent, I think maybe not even saying hi to some girls in the hallway and stuff like that. But no, it was definitely, I think it was where a lot of us were like, okay, I don't think we can really to hang with the girls and spend too much time away from our team here. And I think, uh, I think eventually the coaches uh, sat us down again and said, Hey, listen, it doesn't have to be that extreme. I think you guys took it a little too far. And uh, <laughs> so I think, I think it worked itself out, but uh I think we all understood uh, what the coaches meant, and uh, it worked well, right? I guess I guess we were, we did really well at uh, at Florida and then in Winnipeg as well. So uh, I guess they're on to something at least. <laughs> So let's jump ahead a little bit. Let's go to Ryerson, and I think you joined at a super interesting time where um, you had a great rookie season, like you played a lot. But you're joining a team where there's a lot of young guys. Like I think Vuquets was in his first year, like Jackson Dunning, like guys who were coming up and were going to be really good players. But like I think Lucas Coleman and Adam, oh, I hope Anna Stopalopis, Adam Alphabet uh, was still on the team. Like there were still some vets there. Uh, sorry, Adam. Uh, Brett Whitley was still there. Like it seemed like there was a good mix where there was going to be like this youth movement. You could see the future of what the squad was going to be, but there was also still those fifth years who had accomplished a lot and really built the program. So, what was the feeling for you like the first time you walk into like training camp and the team room and all that? Like kind of meeting the older guys, but knowing that the young guys were going to have a chance to contribute too. Yeah, no, it was definitely an uh, interesting mix because I think we all knew um, we had four really strong seniors and. Like you mentioned, Lucas Coleman, Adam, uh, Brett Whitley, Brennan Hewen, right? Four guys that are key starters for our program and that have been so much great time at that program. So I think we kind of knew um, uh, what the stage was. I knew that, I think we all kind of knew that what we could do. We were a strong team led by these strong seniors. But at the same time, we also knew that um, it was going to be a quick turnaround, right? Like those guys, this was their last year. And we knew that uh, guys like myself, guys like uh, Greg, Jackson Dunning would have to be ready and prepare ourselves this year uh, to either play this year or if not this year, then the, the, the following year when um, those guys are gone and, and take on a bigger load, right? And just to jump ahead once more in your Ryerson career, like I think uh, they did a great job uh, building this event when the Shermers created like the Can-Am and there was going to be a bunch of NCAA schools versus uh, U-Sports school and Ryerson got named to it. So now you get a chance to play the UCLA's, the Long Beach, Hawaii, excuse me, not Hawaii, Ohio State was there uh, and Lewis, excuse me. So there's four really good schools. You're going to play three of them. Like what was it like uh, going into the holiday season where you're like, yeah, teams play tournaments, but that's usually to gear up for second semester. It's usually not like a peak competition. So what was it like being named to that tournament and then seeing some of the guys you were going to be across the net from? Uh, yeah, it was definitely a cool tournament because I think uh, it was the first time for a lot of guys being able to play uh, against a team from another country, uh, play against different opponents. Right, You hear so much about these uh, stellar programs down south, but UCLA, Ohio State, and uh, to have the opportunity to play against them was such a privilege and honor. 
um, and it was such an amazing opportunity. And I think a lot of guys were really excited for it. And I think, um, I think it was a good tournament. I think it was a good tournament um, to showcase uh, uh, not only American talent, but Canadian talent as well, right? Like to show that some uh, Canadian schools can really compete against uh, some of the best in America. So it, it was definitely a, a really good opportunity. And for you, with everything you accomplished at the youth level and you win Canada Games, like you're a provincial team guy, what was it like stepping into the OUA and youth sports? Because as successful as you've been, like now you're on a new squad, you got different guys, you're playing against like older guys. Like, how did that kind of unfold? Like, did you still have the same expectations and you had this taste for winning that you wanted to keep going? Or like, did, did you know it had to be different because you're playing against men now? Uh, no, 100% same thing. Like, the, the drive to win in the competitiveness was, competitiveness was still. Um, so that was definitely a good thing. It, it really helped me um, uh, work hard and, and try to excel my game to catch up to these other guys, right? Because you're playing against guys that you've looked up to. And, and I remember my first ever OU game, OUA game, I was playing against Brandon Coppers, right? And like, the only thing I could remember was, holy, this guy was coaching me when I was 14, 13, you know, and now I'm playing against him, right? Having a chance to, to get him on a block or having a, a chance to swing against him, right? So I, 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 those, those moments were super cool. And, um, I think I adjusted pretty quick because I didn't really have too much time to really think about it, right? Like you get in their training camp and, and I kind of knew um, uh, that I was going to be thrown into that starting role or at least I felt that I, I, I was capable enough to be a starter and, um, and evidently I was and right away I was thrown into the fire and had, had to figure it out. So there was definitely some uh, uh, challenges early on, right? Rocky moments, of course, right? You're playing in a, in a completely different league with guys that are three, four, five years older than you, right? Much stronger than you, jump higher than you, faster than you, uh, things that you may not be uh, usually accustomed to. So um, it was a bit of a learning curve at first, but I think uh, uh, being around guys like Lucas Coleman and Brett and the other seniors, I think they did a good job of uh, helping me adjust uh, really quickly. And I'm always curious how guys handle that where – what was the mood in the room for you, especially because you are playing so much as a first year and you want to get it done and you want to win for Lucas and them. But like when, when you lose a quarterfinal, like is it tempting to say like, Oh, I, I have three more shots. Or are you looking around the room and be like, man, that was Brett's last game or that's Lucas's last game. Like how did it feel like, cause in club you're all together and, and like, you know that like it's going to end together where this was like, you had a really good year. You're probably happy with what you did as an individual, but the team now, now you lose in say a quarterfinal in the OUA and you know that like guys that you look up to are now like that, that's probably the last volley game, volleyball game that some of them will play. Right. So was that just a different mood knowing that you're playing at a higher league with a, a bigger age gap that stuff like that just has to happen? Yeah, it's just heartbreak, right? Like getting lost, you know, it's very similar. Um, I think in that moment when you lose, like you want to win so bad, I don't think, uh, well, at least I'm not, I was not looking ahead and thinking about, oh, at least I have three, four more years, right? Um, for me, it was like, this is my last opportunity to play with you guys, and at least that we have a shot. So um, it's it's heartbreaking, of course, right? Like you know, being in that locker room after you feel for a lot of the guys and you're just um, disappointing yourself not being able to to get the job done because like we had a really strong team that first year too. We did the OUA semis where we played Queens. Uh, we went down two sets, right? Um, with to a team we thought that we should we should have beat, and uh, they played really well. Uh, and hats off to them. Uh, but we went down 2-0 uh, to come back and, and lose it in, in close five sets. Um, that's that's heartbreaking because we really felt that we could have went all the way. Um, and done something special that year, right? So to lose in that fashion is never easy. Um, and then to go on and lose the box game in winter as well was, was very tough. Um, but uh, that's what comes with the game, right? So a lot of ups and downs, but no, definitely not looking ahead in that moment. Just uh, very disappointed not being able to get to the outside. And we kind of touched on this earlier with what Nathan Jansen can bring, but even at a university level with your coaching staff, like, as a match progresses towards the fifth set, are you still depending on the data? Or are you feeling it out? Or are you guys taking live data to go through it? Because 
Yeah, the year you just mentioned, I'm looking it up, win in five versus Waterloo in the quarters, lose in five to Queens in a semi, and then go to a bronze medal match, and that goes five again. And and some teams, they have a tough time firing up after that semi to get used to a bronze medal match. Like There's some divisions they don't even play for bronze. I think it's that hard to fire up for, right? So as you're game planning and going through this and your body's getting tired and you're getting fatigued, like, as a middle, like once it's hitting the fourth or fifth set, are you just feeling it out, or can you still rely on the data as the match is progressing? Because I think it's tempting in a game plan to say, oh, in this rotation, the setter likes to do this, but it, man, stuff changes on the fly during the game, and, and something has to change because they're adjusting to you too, right? Yeah, that's where you got to feel things out, like volleyball IQ, fixing it, right? Like uh, if there's a certain tendency that that goes away from the original game plan that you're seeing um, in the game, then you have to adjust to it, right? And I think some of the best coaching staffs um, uh, are aware of that, and and once they pick up on that, they they're able to communicate that to their parent, uh, to their players very efficiently and quickly. And I think uh, some of the best teams, um, that's how they win championships and that's how they win those games, right? Is is um, the looks that you're getting in the first set might not be the same looks that you're getting in the second, third, or fourth, right? Like um, uh, some of the best teams adjust, right? Uh, if you see a problem, you have to adjust. Um, and a lot of times, I think, uh, on the other hand, some teams are very stubborn in their game plan. They stick to it uh, and they're not able to make adjustments on the fly and it ends up costing them uh uh, sets or even even the match so um i think the best of the best will always adjust and be open to to, to see new things and uh things are not going their way now we, we had joel hannon on the show and we he took some gentle teasing from us where he kind of mentioned that ryerson was the bad boys of the oua and we love joel and that's why we kind of made fun of him but was there a certain attitude in the gym that you guys felt like you just had to be tough to play against whether it was talking through the net or or just the way you guys sell it or the way you stayed together like uh, it's sometimes hard to show toughness in volleyball but like when you think of that year do you think joel was accurate to say that like ryerson was going to be a tough out and like you guys were going to bring it every night yeah, I think he's uh talk I think that was he was talking about uh my second year where uh we had Xander coming in for his first year. Uh we had Nico as our interim uh, interim head coach at the time. Um no that I think he's right to a certain extent where uh, we were we were a pretty crazy team. Um just the way that we would we would handle ourselves and, and we had a lot of guys that were talkers on the court and that uh, were very passionate players. So um no, I think he's right in that regard that uh, we would always put up a fight, and uh, uh, we we're, were definitely a very rowdy team. I think that was the way to put it. Um, and that was that was just the culture that we had for that team that year. And I think a lot of the guys enjoyed it and kind of embraced that um, that culture that we that we built up for ourselves because um, that's who we were, and we couldn't really change that, right? Whether we liked it or not, that's who we were, so we had to embrace it. So um, no, definitely, definitely a little bit. And where do you fit into that? Are you a talker through the net? Like, do you like engage? Are you looking at the setter being like, you're not going to set this guy right now? Like, is that too much? And that kind of adds to what you're already processing in the game? Or, or like, do you like to chat it up a little bit? You know what? I can be. I can be. If you ask a lot of my teammates, they will say, oh, yeah, for sure. Nav's definitely a talker. Um, but I think as the years have gone gone on and I've gotten wiser, I think uh, it happens less and less. Um and also, I think other people try me less and less or try to say anything to me less and less. So, uh, good on them because I think uh, usually when they do something like that, I usually bring out the best in me. Um, but no, definitely just coming from where I come from, Pac-Man, man. You hear it all the time, right? Like, every team wants to be you and even go to the secondary, right? Like, I played with dogs, right? Like, I played with guys that, that are super passionate, that, um, that love talking to the net. So, no, definitely, definitely, um, there's definitely a side of me like that but uh it only comes out in a uh, special special occasions so but uh i think i've done a good job over the, over the past couple of years and this past season and, uh, uh, i'm a bit more wise a bit more uh, uh laid back or a bit more uh reluctant to get to that point i think nice nice and, and believe me we're a volleyball show and, and not a covid show but i think covid kind of spark something where you're progressing through your undergrad and then maybe some eligibility stuff comes up where you make the choice to transfer to McMaster. So well, was that a tough decision for you? Did that just kind of make sense at the time? Like what went into the decision to, to kind of switch schools and continue your education to McMaster? Uh, it was kind of, it kind of just happened. It wasn't something that I really planned for. Um, it, was, it was definitely an interesting and unique situation because I had finished my four years of uh, schooling at Ryerson. Uh, I had completely finished my undergrad, um, 
And the plan for me was honestly to move on from university ball and, and look to do something else. Uh, the plan was to go to uh, a program like FTC that is run um, in Gatineau, Quebec uh, by Dan Lewis and, and other Volleyball Canada staff. Um, so that was my initial plan um, coming out of my fourth year, that COVID year, where uh, there was no volleyball. Um, and and just throughout the summer, just speaking with Dan Lewis, um, I knew that there was a possibility of it not happening. Um, for certain circumstances, I think Volleyball Canada was just shifting their approach on the way they handled it. So um, uh, I knew that I knew that that might not be a possibility. So I had to look for other things and other options. And um, yeah, going pro, of course, I want to go pro. That's my end goal. Um, so I was speaking to some agents as well. And there there were some offers on the table um, that I was looking at. But personally, I just felt that I wasn't prepared or, or ready enough yet to uh, make that transition to go pro. Um, especially with a year off of COVID and we weren't really training, right? Like uh, I was with Ryerson at the time. And I think in Toronto, we were in the thick of the lockdowns, right? I, I know other schools were still able to practice and train to, to a certain extent, but in Toronto, it was like a no-go, right? Like there was no chance of you getting in the gym and even touching a ball or, or lifting a weight. So um, just just coming off a year of that, I just felt that I wasn't prepared yet to make that big jump because making that jump to pro is, is not only a big jump in volleyball aspect, but a life aspect, right? Like you're going to a different country, speaking a different language, you're away from family, different time zones. So I, I didn't know if I was ready for all that just yet. Um, so um, just FTC was my initial option. And then I was informed, I think, a couple of weeks out from September um, by Dan was that uh, the FTC would not be running this year uh, for whatever reason. And um, at that point, I felt um, I needed to make a quick change and, and, and figure out what my next next options were. Because at that point, I think it would have been a bit too late still to go to pro. And then uh, it was it was go back to school was my only real option, right? And um, there was an option for me to go back to, to Ryerson. But um, I felt at this point in my career uh, and where my education was, um, obviously finishing my undergraduate already at Ryerson, I wanted to pursue other studies um, and also uh, expand. Uh, in terms of volleyball and go somewhere else, uh, have a different opportunity in that in that scenario. So um, I reached out to Dave Preston. We had we had a relationship prior because he recruited me out of high school. Um, we had a really good relationship, and um, uh, he was so open and so, and so caring and, and uh, accepted my call right away. Listened to my story and. Um, and the rest was kind of history from there. And he did such a help and uh, to getting helping me to get into the school and then uh, integrating me into the board program school. Yeah, that's that's so cool to hear, man. So this year, uh, amid all the distractions and kind of going through the OUA season, which was kind of stop start, and then you were in conferences and you didn't really cross over. Uh, like w- with all those distractions, you guys still put it together. You run the table. Like, what was it like, kind of going through this season and then knowing that, like, you're you're going to play for an OUA championships and you guys get the job done? Like, was it easy to kind of fire up and go to the gym every day, or was it tough with the distractions and the pause in January when the other conferences were still going? Like, what was the season like for you, picking a new school and then kind of battling through the the season that was the OUA adventure this year? I think, I think the coaches. Uh, uh, at Mac and Dave Preston, Ian Evitt, uh, Brad Dows, I think they did a really good job of just instilling that culture of resiliency um, and, and continuing to excel and hold ourselves to a, to a high standard. Um, so I think with the starting and stopping, it was it was difficult. Of course, it was difficult on everyone. But um, like I said, just having that culture and keeping each other accountable and, and, uh, and just being ready for whatever we had, like whenever it would come. Um, I think that was really helpful. Personally for me, I think the year starting off, um, it was a bit of adjustment coming to a new school, um, in a new gym, a new environment, of course, right? Just because you're so accustomed to the way things are at a certain school and you get to a new school and things are a bit different or, or now you're around um, uh, different teammates and different people and different coaching staff and, and this and that. But um, I think that went away really quickly. I think that was just um, a little bit of growing pains at the start. But I think uh, uh, having Dave in my corner and having uh, that great coaching staff and the guys in the team were like just amazing in accepting me and uh, bringing me onto the team and uh, making me feel like one of them. Uh, it was it was a seamless transition. Honestly, it was it was um, 
it was amazing after that point. And then um, I think coming back from the lockdown when we knew um, that we were we were allowed to play again and we were given a season, right? I think a lot of guys were grateful. Uh, the entire building was grateful that we are finally get to get back to do, doing what we love. So I think it was from there, at that point on, I think it was kind of, we kind of knew what the situation was and that uh, how grateful we were to just be back in the court. So uh, uh, from there, at that point on, I think we all kind of had the same mindset of uh, let's go do this. And uh, it was, it was playing for a bigger purpose at that point, honestly. Yeah, for sure. And I think the the players deserve a lot of credit. It's a high character program, but the, the coaches for sure, as you mentioned, like Brad and Ian and Dave there. And the, the reason I bring up the character thing is I want to just talk about you guys run the table and you go undefeated, you take down OUs, and then you lose your quarterfinal at Nationals. And I think to a lot of people, you lose that quarterfinal. It's like the tournament's over. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and play the early game. But not only as a team do you guys bounce back, but you as an individual, you bounce back. Like not to just even sugarcoat it here. You only got your number called for one set against Calgary and kind of just didn't put up your typical numbers. But then you didn't feel bad for yourself. You throw up 14 against Queens and you guys win that game. And then you throw up 11 against Manitoba. Like, was it easy for you guys to fire up and say, you know what, we're playing for fifth. Like, let's, this is a business trip. We're going to get it done. Or was there any hint in the room of like, ah, like, woe is me. We're not going to play for a medal. Like, this sucks. Let's just all go to the pub. Like, what was the feeling in the team room after that Calgary game where you guys were able to bounce back and still get the job done? No, I think there was definitely disappointment, of course, right? When you be at this high level and you like, hold yourself to such a high standard and you want to uh, achieve the best for yourself, there's always going to be disappointment when you, when you can't perform or you can't, can't um, uh, exceed those expectations. So um, there was definitely disappointment, of course, but I think uh, it was a quick turnaround. It was it was super quick. I think a lot of guys, um, uh, a, the leaders that we had on the team, Jordan Pereira, um, they did a really good job of uh, making sure that, that we were all on the same page, right? Like, um, once we were over that loss, um, that it was all systems go, that we were back. You know, we were, we were playing for something bigger than just ourselves, right? So we couldn't sulk in the moment. Uh, we couldn't feel bad for ourselves. We couldn't feel sorry. We are playing for the M on our chest, and we were playing for McMaster Pride. Um, and we were going against a opponent that was super strong, that we were familiar with Queens, Queens has been a bit. Um, of course, that helped motivate a lot of guys too. But I would say no, it was a quick turnaround. I think um, of course there's always disappointment um, when you can't meet your expectations. But I think uh, all the guys in that room uh, showed high character, um, showed high uh, uh, self belief, and just continue to to push and um, and do what we do best and just play volleyball. Nice, man. Yeah, good to hear the behind the scenes there because you guys definitely didn't lay down and die. And I think losing that quarterfinal definitely creates the opportunity to do so. So you just kind of touched on it that you're already on the hunt for FTC. So uh, break the news for me. Are you back at MAC next year? Or are you going to look to go to FTC or go pro? Like, are, are you going to continue your studies or are you going to go be a professional volleyball player? That's still to be decided. Um, still thinking about um, uh, what what's next for me. I still haven't uh, had really a chance to, with the season ending so so recently, I really haven't had a chance to sit down with my family, uh, look at my studies, look at where, where I need to be for next year. Um, still haven't had a chance to speak with uh, a lot of coaches, a lot of teammates, and so on. So um, I think, I think uh, it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, um, but I'll definitely have a decision. Um, and I'm excited for whatever that decision be, whether whether I choose to come back or whether I choose to move on from this chapter of my life. Um, I know once I'm ready to make a decision that I'm going to be there 100% and uh, I'll be ready for it. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing all that you did. I've uh, been a big fan of your game and everything you've accomplished. It's, it's always great for me to hear the behind the scenes and appreciate everything you've shared today. But well, one thing we've built into a tradition on the show is we've heard that you've competed at the highest level, but the volleyball community is awesome, and something funny or odd must have happened along the way. So I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Man, there's so many funny stories and crazy moments uh, throughout throughout my career. There's probably a lot that I probably can't even share. Uh, a lot of stories that will happen here, stays here kind of moments. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I got to keep this one uh, with PG. But uh, I think a pretty funny story is uh, I play in um, – I've had the opportunity – uh, to 
to represent myself as a as a Sikh uh, in my community and uh, play in uh, these Indo Canadian volleyball tournaments. And um, uh, I heard a lot about them before I played in my first one about how crazy and how wild they usually usually get. And um, I didn't know what to expect into my first one until I got to my first one and we were playing in the finals. And um, I heard I'd heard about this uh, this instance occurring before, but I didn't know how real it was. And um, in the finals, uh, as I was playing, uh, I made a big block. And come onto the court is a bunch of fans or a bunch of people standing in the audiences, and, just, and I'm like, what? This is this is the craziest thing ever. So basically, um, like at these Indian tournaments, it, it's kind of like a tradition or like a known thing where like if you make really good plays. And you make really good um, uh, uh, skill moves or, or uh, yeah, big blocks, big kills, big digs, right? Um, and you please the crowd. A lot of times uh, people in the crowd will come out into the middle of the court, in the middle of the game, and just hand you money. And uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool because in that, in that finals, I had a couple big blocks, and rightfully so, right on time, uh, a couple guys from the crowd just came on the court. They might have had a couple few... Uh, few drinks maybe a little too much but they came onto the court handed me a couple hundred dollar bills and, and uh uh on with my day and honestly i didn't know what to do with the money i was like what do i do with this now i'm in the middle of a game and you just gotta pass it to your coach onto the side basically and uh move on but yeah that was a pretty funny story i think that happens at these uh these tournaments <laughs> That's so cool, man. Yeah, we got to get you back on so you can share that experience because I think it, it's cool for your culture. And we've had some like nine man guys on and I've tried to learn about that culture. But uh, yeah, the Indocan something we haven't covered. But just real quick, can you name drop for me? Because I think uh, your team's quite good where they got you and I think like Terrence plays who used to play at Humber. I think uh, Kareem Cahill who used to be uh, the captain at York. Like he plays like it's a really good league. There's a lot of like former university and college players, right? Oh yeah, like there's a lot of really good uh, good players that play on the squad. You know, Terrence, like you mentioned, a cream of course comes back every once in a while. Uh, he's in the states right now though, so we won't be able to link it to some of them. But um, guys like Arjun Sully, who play at Guelph, Jas Rodgersmidger, who plays at York, Saad Shake plays at Ryerson, right? Um, guys that have played throughout the college college level. So there's uh, there's a lot of good names, and of course, like going up against uh, sometimes Urban plays with us, Urban. Bar comes out and plays um, so uh, there's a lot of good good names and good competition that uh, uh, that comes out to these tournaments so it gets pretty fun <laughs> that's awesome I would have never guessed that like money is exchanging hands here but that's so funny <laughs> <laughs> no it gets pretty wild man I don't know I didn't know it I didn't know it either but uh, no make a big block or something and they'll come on the court and just really uh, let you know so it's pretty cool <laughs> well that's awesome man like i said we'll have to get you back on the show because uh definitely some exciting stuff going in the future thanks for sharing all that you did like i said like i, I got canada games guy you've won ovas you've won medals at nationals you've won offsa like you, you've done so much it's just kind of cool to hear your story and get your perspective and share some stories so thanks for all that you did and thanks for coming on the show yeah no worries it's my pleasure thank you for having me man